one of your hosts, Tim, and joining me tonight, as usual, is Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. Hello, all. Uh, so, strangely, got my son a Mac Air, and it caused some sort of IP address conflict, which took me about an hour tonight to figure out so we can make this thing work. So, thanks for, thanks for your patience, boys, but we're finally able to kick this thing off, so... <laughs> Very good, buddy. Happy days. Um, so, I need a drink after that, so... <laughs> Once again, I'm going for the Kraken, because uh, I'm loving it. I, I noticed today, too, at BWS, they had the one-litre bottle marked down from 87 to 71. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. So I was like, yoink! <laughs> so, I've got a whole one-litre bottle waiting for when this one finishes. Have you got the one-litre bottle there? Does it look different from the regular bottle? It's just larger. It's exactly the same shape, but just larger. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. nice. That's good. And uh, what are you drinking there, Lachlan? Kraken. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, Ruben. What are you drinking? Kraken. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Triple, triple Krakens. More crack than a plumber's convention. That's it. Hey. <laughs> I think I might have to uh, look that one liter one up, Tim, because um, that was uh, the last drop of my Kraken. So, uh, oh. Same with me. I just finished the bottle. <laughs> BWS boys. Synchronized <laughs> crackers. Right That's it. <laughs> nice. Mad. All right. Well, um, tonight, tonight we we get to have a play in the cave. Uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, when you search it, you realise. I mean, we we've, we've taken longer than we thought we would to get through this book I think this idea this this concept of the cave takes people longer than our entire show has so far to get through <laughs> so. so obviously our commitment tonight is to keep it to one show uh, for this part <laughs> and uh, sort of start dabbling into what comes after that as well until we hit the halfway point so um, before we do that uh, Ruben I believe you're volunteered to do the recap for last week do you want to go through what happened last week please Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So speaking of the cave, I actually last week was a little bit odd when they started talking about different levels of knowledge. Um, but first they started off with this stuff about the sun, uh, the simile of the sun, which was essentially saying that apart from all of all these virtues we've been talking about, there's something higher than that. Um, and that's when came the simile of the sun. Essentially, Socrates' view is that there is something more real and above all of these virtues and all of these realities and it is called, he calls it the good. Uh, he's not really clear what the good is, but essentially what he's saying is that uh, it is by the light of the good that we can uh, comprehend all these other things. Uh, and from then, he sort of works off into the, talking about different levels of understanding um, without going into too much detail. I feel like having read the next section about the cave, it makes that whole other section a lot clearer. Mm. Um well, I felt like it did anyway, but um, the, 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 I guess the major points to remember is that uh, Socrates is of a mind that the highest level of reality are uh, these forms, um, and that's the only thing that really constitutes knowledge. And then below that, you've got reasoning and mathematical reasoning and things of that nature. And then underneath that, you've just got what he calls sort of mere beliefs, which is just when you see a thing itself, like a physical object, 
And then below that, at the very lowest level of uh, knowledge is illusions. So pictures or statues of something else. Um, and one more little thing to point out, basically what he's saying is all those physical objects and, and the particulars, he would consider only opinion. And to get to the level of knowledge, you need to be using uh, what is akin to mathematical reason or logic. Uh, and um, that's kind of where we ended it. Hmm. That was all right. I, I just, I didn't write that down or anything. That was, I would totally wing that. You, you did good, buddy. You did good. Yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Was a, I'll do it on the night. <laughs> I'll do it on the night. <laughs> well, well summarized. Uh, so, um, the cave of Socrates, it's a, it's a dark place yeah. and, um, it was pretty, pretty cool. So, um, Lachlan, do you want to introduce the, the concept of the cave? Yeah, sure, buddy. I, I mean, it's pretty funny just how he, um, introduces this. Like, it's like literally one sentence and then like dives into this thing, um, which is pretty funny. I, I just read it out one sentence cause it's just funny. Yeah. And now I said, let me show in a figure how far our nature is enlightened or unenlightened. Behold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like That's a cheap crack, magician. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so he's got this uh, allegory that he's, he's come up with. <clears throat> Obviously not the kind of thing that comes up on the fly. Um, but um, so he's got this story. So we'll, we'll just, I'll set it out. So, um, so the setting of the cave. Um, so the idea is that there are three prisoners who are bound and cannot move inside the cave. Um, they've been there since birth and all they can do is stare forward at a, a blank cave wall. So they can't turn their head sideways. All they can do is look at this wall. Um, behind them um, at a bit of a distance is a fire, um, obviously providing some light from behind them. And between the fire and the prisoners is a walkway with a high wall. And now people walk along um, behind this walkway with items on their heads. And as they do so, the light of the fire uh, will project a, uh, a shadow on the cave wall in front of the prisoners um, so they can observe, well, these shadows on the wall. And that's what they see. Um, so now like the, the prisoners themselves, um, all they can do is see the shadows. They've got no um, knowledge of the outside world or anything like that because they've been born in this cave and they've lived there all their life. Um, and so they name and discuss the shadows uh, and the shadows are basically their perception of reality and it's all that they know. Um, so like they don't know what the shadows are of, obviously, all they know are the shadows themselves because that's all they can see. Um, and so they would play games and, um, you know, discuss, you know, what shadow they thought was going to come next and they'd name them and all this sort of thing. And then would perhaps, you know, praise each other over, um, you know, who would guess what shadow was going to come along next or that sort of thing. Um, and so, like, that's what their um, concept of knowledge would be, was this sort of game around the shadows. Um, you're with me still or shall I? Uh... No, I think that's a good time to pause, though. So yeah. that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um So, uh, strangely enough, there's three of us. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we should turn off our lights and be like, shadow. (laughs) (laughs) 
you can uh, you do some uh, shadow puppets or something on the wall or something do a little bunny or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah that reminded me of Robin Hood Man in Tights with the shadows that they did in that that was pretty funny it's been a long time <laughs> it has been um, yeah so look okay so I think it's a really good example as far as it's it's easy to comprehend once you've taken your time to read it once or twice I think the first time I read it I kind of didn't quite get the physicality of how the shadows were thrown and from where I think at first I kind of imagined a uh, puppet show with the light in front not from behind them Um, so yeah um, which you know I'll discuss later I think it's slightly flawed that example but yeah it's fine (laughs) <laughs> just just for the point of a story it's all good yeah yeah so yeah um so essentially what he's saying is uh all they can see that moves is shadows um yep. and, and they can hear things but the source of the shadow they've never seen they can't see uh they're unable to see um therefore they, yeah. it's not there but- and then they associate the sounds with the shadows and basically because that's all they can see they assume that the shadows are all there is and those sounds are associated with those shadows so yep 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 they got no idea people are carrying objects or behind them yeah 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 exactly all right so let's move on to stage two of the description um escapi escapi yeah that's from uh freaking finding nemo it is yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um so one of the prisoners um escapes and um in doing so uh he finds his way out of the cave and into the light and he's shocked by what he finds and can't believe it's real um the light is stinging his eyes and you know he's straining to be able to sort of see because he's had all his life in the darkness and the light actually hurts him and um, while he's becoming a, accustomed to it and he's starting to be able to sort of look around and see, he's realising that his view of the world and what they thought reality was was wrong. Um, and he, I guess, is uh, um, starting this sort of seeking of enlightenment, we'll call it, and the true nature of uh, what reality is. Um, Socrates sort of talks about the fact that he could, like, uh, observe the sun and um, understand that it's the you know the, the the true sun and the provider of seasons and all this sort of thing. And that anyway, after having this sort of enlightenment, he's going to go go back into the cave and um, see his cave buddies. And yeah, try and tell them what he's seen. I want to I want to talk before we talk about the uh, the return of the philosophy instead of Jedi. Um, I want to think about that for a minute. So um, I do like how when he's first removed, the, the example is he's just blinded by the light and it's uncomfortable mm. and... Well, it, it's are you talking alien. about when he turns when he turns around and sees the people with the shapes or when he actually leaves the cave? Well, yeah, you're right. So um, there is a distinction there, isn't there? So he talks about... Um, First, he turns around and sees the people with the shapes, and the way that reluctantly dragged up a steep and rugged ascent, 
and is held fast until he's forced in the presence of the sun himself, uh, is he likely not likely to be pained and irritated? When he approaches the light, his eyes will be dazzled and he will not be able to see anything out of what are now called realities. Oh, I misunderstood that. I sort of took that as a as a hypothetical, not that he was sort of dragged up there and sort of um, held into the ascent. Oh, that happens later on. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, because that's directly after... Uh... Here we go. Oh, no, you're right, Ruben. So, yes, I skipped a piece. Okay, I'll read this part. Uh, and now look again and see what will naturally follow if the prisoners are released and disabused of their error. At first, when any of them is liberated and compelled suddenly to stand up and turn his neck around and walk and look towards the light, he will suffer sharp pains. The glare will distress him and he will be unable to see the realities of which, in his former state, he had seen the shadows. Yeah, you're quite right. Yep, so yeah, that's right. That's so basically, he turns still. around... Yeah, he turns around and he kind of sees that... He sees a couple of things. Like, if at first of all, that even the fire that's casting the shadows would hurt his eyes. Mm. And then... But then he would sort of kind of start to realise that the shadows on the wall were kind of a bit of nonsense. My book actually uses the term nonsense. Um, yep. When do you think he would say... What do you think he would say if he was told that what he used to see was so much empty nonsense? And that he was now near a reality. So, even at that point, what what they're saying is he turns around and sees these other things, um, and he's like, even if that point, if you told him that that's still not the highest level of reality, he would yeah. probably think that that's ridiculous because he's mm. he spent his whole life looking at shadows. He turns around and he sees what's causing the shadows. Surely he would think that's you know that's that's as far far down as the rabbit hole goes, which mm. is there when that bit you referred to Tim, where he's forced. They say. Uh, and if he were forcibly dragged up the steep and rugged ascent into the sunlight, then he'd really be blinded. Well, yeah, but before that, so uh, I like how it says this part where it says that um, he will be unable to see the realities of which his former state had seen. So just by the very act of he's never looked at directly at light before. So now yeah. by looking directly at a light source, many of the shadows he would have been able to perceive his eyes have adjusted and he can't see those really shadows see anymore well. yep. um, which I thought was interesting but then it also says um, uh, the glare will distress him he'll be unable to see the realities which I just said um, uh, when he's approaching nearer to being and his eyes turn towards more real existence he has a clearer vision what will be his reply and you may further imagine that his instructor is pointing to the objects as they pass and requiring him to name them. Will he not be perplexed? Mm. Will he not fancy that the shadows which he formerly saw are truer than the objects which are now shown to him? So I, I thought that was interesting. I thought of like the, the bird thing, like I'm bad at finger shadow puppets, obviously. <laughs> but if like this, this shape of uh, putting your thumbs together and making wings with your hands and, and flapping them if you do that as a shadow onto a wall uh, if you have some skill you could argue oh that looks like a flying animal and yeah. so for that person to then look and no in fact it's some dude with his hands in front of the fire just doing this thing that's going that to be in fact less like a real bird than the shadow 
Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. but you would think, but that doesn't look anything like the shadow. It just looks like two pairs of hands. Um, You're saying you wouldn't be able to connect the two things as being yeah related. Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Or be, so not become, not that you yeah. couldn't, but it would be very difficult to and and It'd be confusing. Yeah, yeah, and and the, the 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 ability <laughs> to recognize that object uh, and name it immediately would be more difficult because if you've seen the shadow a hundred times as soon as it sees the outline of that shape oh that's flying animal but when it sees hands together what is that um, and trying to link the two things together would be confusing that no and I think just the fact that you're realizing that your whole reality is a joke it's just sort of sending the head spinning that what's real what isn't real now I, I don't know who am I? Like, where am I? Like, you're going to question mm. everything um, because everything that you held to be true is now in doubt. And mm. uh, yeah, I think you just have yeah. that general state of confusion, you know? And to sort of jump forward a bit just to make this little bit inside the cave make a little bit more sense. Later on, Socrates goes on to describe that as being um, the fire casting the shadows as being our physical sun. Um, and so everything inside that cave there, my understanding is essentially the physical world, which relates to what he calls, what we, what we mentioned earlier, as the lowest forms of knowledge. So the things themselves and the illusion of those things. Um, so that's kind of what he's talking about in the cave. So at, the, at this, at, in the cave, so at this point, he's what in his epistemology or his level of knowledge, He's talking about the lowest, the, the, the two lowest rungs of, uh, of knowledge. So, you know, the thing themselves or the illusion of the thing. So the thing itself or a statue, so to speak. Mm. Yeah, okay, I follow. Yep. No, that makes yeah. sense. I thought I'd bring that up now rather than waiting because it, it, I, I, when I read through it, I didn't really understand it until I read it, what Socrates explains mm. later that this is that what he's talking about there is the physical world because he refers to the sun, the sun that casts the, the fire that casts the shadow as being the sun, as in the real physical sun. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and that makes, anyway. I suppose, more um, more relevance when he talks about actually getting above ground and seeing the actual sun. The actual not, sun that's really blinding. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the thing that you thought was the sun. But there's a bit of yeah. a there's a bit of a cruelty to this example too. Like the um, as I was saying before, the the shadow scenario of you know that person could name the shadow quickly but if they've never seen a pair of hands before and you go well what is this well they won't know the answer that, that's what he's getting out yeah. there so so even though they yep. can see the real the more real um they, they don't know what it is and they can't name it because they only know the shadow of it they don't know the real thing itself hmm. yeah that's for sure Right. So anyway, as as Lachlan said, I think um, that or we were saying after that bit, then he gets dragged up into the out into out of the cave into the the sunlight, the real world, what we would call the real world. Yeah. Um, and I th and I think where that fits into his levels of knowledge is I think the idea there is or the actual truth, the actual reality of light and all of these things exists there. It's more real. So. I guess if we're talking about the bird, 
in Socrates's mind, you can't have true knowledge of that of a bird until you're out in the world, like outside, mm. out of the cave, because then you can see what an actual bird looks like, the actual form of a bird looks like. Um, and then you go in, and when you go back inside the cave where you see the physical bird, or the hands in our scenario, um, that is actually a lower level of existence than the actual bird outside into outside of the cave I think that's where it's on a first read through it's a little bit confusing because we're thinking oh the cave is part of material reality outside the cave must be part of the material reality how do you make it all match up but I think you need to think of it in terms of Socrates's levels of knowledge outside the cave is actually the forms um, which Socrates would call the highest level of reality yep yep so yeah, it's a bit weird because it's kind of like like if you're going to say it in really dumb terms it'd be like everything everything inside the cave is physical reality things that actually exist everything mm. outside of the cave is just the ideas and the things that don't actually exist um, yeah, but I think that's because <laughs> in these days in our society those ideas have been inverted so we think very materialistically we think something doesn't actually exist unless you can describe it in terms of its physical or chemical makeup you know we, that's mm. kind of what we would consider the highest form of knowledge where it's, it's a total inversion for for um, Socrates. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, his... Well, I guess, you know, th- this is the, the pathway to goodness, which he can't yet sort of really define yet. So, I mean, and I, and I think that's sort of selling the point of what he's saying, like this is something that's so high that you've got to strive towards that yeah. it's it's not something that can just be like read of or looked at to, to under, understand. It's something that you've got to come to a higher reasoning to, to, to find, I guess. Yeah. And I think it made sense of his uh, simile of the sun from the previous chapter in, cause he was mm-hmm. kind of trying to describe, he's like, Oh, there's the sun and it's by the light of the sun that you can see things as they actually are. Yeah. Um, so now, now he's, he's saying outside the cave where the sun is, that's where you really see what things actually are. So I, I guess in this analogy, the sun outside the cave would be goodness in its purest form. Yeah. And it's yeah. shining or shedding the light there so that you can see the actual the form of the things, which are the yeah. physical things yeah. which are back in the cave. Yeah. yeah. But it, it blinds yeah. too. So I like how uh, it says, if he's compelled to look straight at the light, will he not have a pain in his eyes, which will make him turn away to take an object's of vision, which he can see. Oh, sorry. That's earlier. Um, here we go uh, and suppose once more that he is reluctantly dragged up a steep and rugged ascent and held fast until he is forced into the presence of the sun himself is he not likely to be pained and irritated when he approaches the light his eyes will be dazzled and he will not be able to see anything at all of what are now called realities so hmm. the presence of the actual full sun not just the, the fire and a little bit of light but the full hmm. sun actually blinds him to his previous knowledge and previous reality i thought that was interesting yeah is the idea there that if he goes back down to the cave the the shadows sort of become meaningless to him is that well that he can't even perceive them i think it's just that it's like rocking his world so much that that whole concept is just sort of blown away for the moment yeah, why would you really give a crap about what's going on back in the cave anymore? <laughs> well, and that 
sort of comes up a little bit later on as well, you know, when they... Oh, I, I don't get too they much talk about who should be leader. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, with, you with your foreshadowing. <laughs> well, and, and me tying it into freaking Tolkien, <laughs> it's, um, it's the same problem again that the hobbits have when they return back to the Shire every time is that they've mm. been changed through what they've learnt and it's a similar idea I think that once you've sort of escaped from that and grow and, and have this new revelation that going back you're not the same and, and you can't perceive where you were the same way well it was kind of like the uh, you know losing their innocence you know what I mean and understanding of the, the real world for themselves mm. as well right yeah yeah that's i think that's a good example because they come back to the shire and all of their fellow hobbits that they used to be like are basically under the thumb of these tyrants but because they've seen the higher reality of what's going on outside the shire they've, they've gone well these guys don't actually have any power over you you know what I mean? Because they, mm. they, they see those higher values of knowledge and freedom and justice and whatever. So they're able to rally everyone together and um, and fight back. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but it's also why I don't particularly like Bilbo as a character. Because he was changed, goes back, and sort of just doesn't do anything for 50 or 60 years until he's really, really old. And then he finally decides oh, it's time to go on another adventure. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's right at the start of Lord of the Rings. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. Anyway, let's let's not talk too much talking. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, yeah, so let, let's move along. So we, I think we've covered that adequately to explain so what's we'll going on. Talk about returning to the prisoners. Yeah, that's right. Where's that bit? Well, look, before we do, let's just say. Uh, that he gets acquired so the, the, the example moves on because at the moment he's, he's uncomfortable with looking at the sun and, and there's a sense of loss that now lo- no longer can perceive the realities and all that sort of stuff that he was seeing before um, so I'll just keep reading this a little bit here so he will require, require to grow accustomed to the side of the upper world and first he will see the shadows best next the reflections of men and other objects in the water and then the objects themselves. Then he will gaze upon the light of the moon and the stars and the spangled heaven, and he will see the sky and the stars by night better than the sun or the light of the sun by day, certainly. Last of, last off, he will be able to see the sun and not mere reflections of him in the water, but he will see him in his own proper place and not in another, and he will contemplate him as he is. Yes, I think it's just saying that it's not something you'll be able to take in all at once, right? Um, It's understanding that level of light and goodness or whatever it may well be is something that's going to take you time and the concepts are going to build with you um, until you can look at the sun, I guess. And um, Yeah, because he goes on to say um, later on he would come to the conclusion that it is the sun that produces the changing seasons and years and controls everything in the visible world and is in a sense responsible for everything that he and his fellow prisoners used to see. So um, that again comes kind of back to the goodness. He's kind of like saying that the sun in that Mm. analogy is the ultimate good. 
or yeah. um, almost like almost like God, like that's the ultimate God. He's that that son is the highest thing that's sort of controlling everything else. But yeah, as mm. you point out, it, take, it would take him a while to get there. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. takes time and it's uncomfortable, but eventually accepts the the truth and and starts not just accepting the truth, but pursuing the truth and trying to understand it more and more and more. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, that's. I uh, mean, that that's his uh, way of just sort of saying like the the pursuit of um, enlightenment, right? And so that's like the the journey of the philosopher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's kind of, it's almost like, yeah, the journey of enlightenment, I guess, is probably a good way to say it. Yep. So so then um, beyond that, which uh, is interesting, so um, it moves on to, and when he remembered his old habitation and the wisdom of the den and his fellow prisoners, do you not suppose that he would felicitate himself on the change and pity them? Certainly he would. So it's interesting. So once they've actually settled down and the, and they've sort of started understanding and accepting this higher truth, uh, yeah. Then they reflect on probably at some point they reflect on where they once were, and then mm. they realise oh, there's other people there still. Well, and not just that he's saying like you would actually like celebrate that wisdom. Um, that that's what. Uh, uh, felicitate means um, so it's it's actually sort of acknowledging that growth in yourself I suppose and just going oh how amazing that yeah. I now understand the, the, the reality not not what I thought was reality before mm. that's right and then, then he goes on to say will um, will our release prisoner hanker for after those prizes or envy this power or honor. So like he's thinking of talking about the games that they used to play where they would try to pick yeah. the shadows, see what's coming next and match the sound to the shadows. He's like, he just wouldn't like, he just yeah. wouldn't be interested in those things anymore. Yeah. Why would you bother? Which is sort of uh, kind of Socrates's whole thing about, you know, I'm not really interested in money or riches or, or whatever. Just like those things are kind of empty to me. So I think that's, I think he's trying to explain that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah and I, I think it's also like that whole pursuit of power thing, right? And this is how these guys would put a flex on, you know, like, uh, man, I always guess the right thing that's coming up and, uh, wow, you're the best there is and all that sort of thing. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's that whole thing about, I think they always painted that picture too, that like a true philosopher doesn't hanker after power, right? You just, yeah, you're just yeah. looking for knowledge and wisdom. You don't care about power. Yeah, well, that's why um, they've quoted Homer saying, better to be the poor servant of a poor master. Yeah. Um, hey, does that remind you at all of um, better to be a servant in the house of God? It did, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know I what you're a, referring to. There's like a real parallel there. <laughs> oh, Intentional or not. <laughs> well it's um, a very similar idea it's it's well similar sure. I, I'm probably going to upset people by saying this but uh, I don't know that, uh, it's similar kind of thing it's like well once you're aware of um, salvation and the service of God and the glory of God and all that sort of gear you would rather be the lowest person in his household a servant than just about anything and that's kind of what he says he says, he, he says 
for sure. a surf in the house of some landless man or indeed anything else in the world than to hold the opinions and live the life that they do in reference to the people back in the cave that are just pointing at shadows. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I thought it was really fascinating. Mm. Yeah, it's got a similar feel. Um, it, it's about integrity too. So I like how like straight after that it goes and um, to endure anything rather than think as they do and live after their manner. Um, mm. Yes, uh, he said, I think that he would rather suffer anything than entertain false notions and live in this miserable manner. <laughs> I think it's really funny. Well, it's, uh, right. it's not hard, because aside from uh, knowing nothing, uh, being bound and chained in the uh, in the caves, probably not a... <laughs> it wouldn't be comfortable, would it? Look. No, you wouldn't think so. Well, an analogy I thought of that was relevant was I used to play PlayStation, and now I play Xbox. <laughs> I would not go back to PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was but there. a shadow on a wall, an illusion. <laughs> it's got nothing, nothing on the old Xbox. <laughs> uh, too funny. So in my book, I wrote there: um, when you acquire true knowledge, you become blind to the false. And I was mm. like, ooh, I wrote this That's down. Interesting. It's nice. Um, so uh, this is where they talk about that corruption. I think Lachlan, they start talking about mm-hmm. that with. Um, if, if there were a contest and he had to compete in measuring the shadows with the prisoners who had never moved out of the den, whilst his sight was still weak and before his eyes had become steady and the time which would be needed to acquire this new habit of sight may be very considerable, would he not be ridiculous? Men would say of him that Basically, he went yeah. up and down, he came without his eyes <laughs> and that it was better not even to think of ascending and if anyone tried to lose another and lead him up to the light let them only catch the offender and they'll put him to death. So this is him having gone, this is the person who's gone outside the cave and contemplated the true goodness going back into the cave. So basically mm. what you're saying is he wouldn't be able to understand the shadows anymore. He wouldn't care about them, wouldn't understand them. And the others would be looking at him going, are you blind, you idiot? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's like the difficulty they have is like, why would we listen to you? You clearly have no idea what you're talking about because you can't even tell me what that is on the wall right um, that's the navigator from the ship analogy yeah, yeah you're coming back aren't you yeah absolutely yeah because um, earlier on he's talking about the ship and he's, they were talking about why don't people listen to philosophers and he's like well i mean if you're on a ship and everyone's fighting over who wants to be boss and there's only one person that actually has any knowledge of navigation they're not going to care mm-hmm. what he's got to say they're just going to laugh at him and call him an idiot yeah exactly that's exactly the same isn't it yeah yeah so, that's, a, that's a really good one, Tim. Uh, I, I like that one as well. Um, hmm. I thought it's speaking to the challenge that they have for these philosopher kings as well. You know, um, in that how you're going to, you know, get the masses to, to, to listen to you. And it, if the knowledge you've attained can make you, and I think like this is maybe what they were referring to previously in the other chapters about, you know, um, the philosophers looking like... <clears throat> strange monsters or something like that because their realities perception of reality has changed so much that it's just everything's just so much more foreign now and that relating to that the rest of society is just um 
you know, you look at odds with it. And so it's, it's probably hard for people to see that comparison. You know, you'd look like a strange monster. You're so confused, you know, versus our ordered society. You know? Can know. either of you guys think of a time where you've met someone like that? I mean, I can't, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, is, can anyone think of a world, real world example of something to this effect? Where, I don't where, know. where someone's you know so clearly, their knowledge is so clearly beyond anyone else's that everyone else in the room thinks they're crazy. Yeah, but would you recognize it? Because you'd probably just dismiss it and you wouldn't give it any more thought because you'd think that they're nuts, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I, I don't want to be fast to answer that because it's a good question. It's a I've certainly question. been in the room with very intelligent people who at times I can't follow their... Their, their argument quickly enough and in hindsight once I've thought about what they were saying I've realised later oh okay that's what they're on about but um, oh, hold on hold on but when that's happened I'm assuming that that person was already in a position of authority yeah mostly so you'd have to invert it so imagine that that person came into the room and gave that argument and they had like seven other people in the room who were peers or even maybe in positions of authority over that person and they had that same reaction to you now because that person's in authority you've kind of just gone along with it and then you've come gone and thought about it and come back and oh yeah he was right but if he wasn't in a position of authority if he was the minority in that room surrounded by other people who were trying to control that room what kind of reaction do you think oh i see i see that happen i've seen that happen in the workplace before oh okay okay interesting yeah yeah this could even be like, because, um, you know, if you think about uh, uh, Socrates and he's kind of like this, he's almost a bum. Like he sort of like turns up to these symposiums, you know, ah, at least he's got shoes on this time or whatever else, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, sprouting all this sort of stuff. It's like, imagine if you heard some of this kind of thing coming from like some like uh, homeless dude down on uh, Pitt Street or something. Yeah. Like, is anyone going like- uh, to listen? You would, you would say to him, mate, why would I listen to you? You don't even have a house. You don't even have shoes. And his response would be like, well, what good are shoes when the light of the day has shone upon me? And now, you know, I, um, I have true knowledge and I'm trying to share that with you. Why are you talking about my shoes? You'd be like, okay, crazy dude, whatever. I've ascended beyond footwear. No, you're exactly right. It's it's the position that Socrates is in. I wonder if that's why he takes the tact he does, because he doesn't, um, you know, he does a whole of those things. Oh, I don't want to tell you. Yeah. All right. Okay. If you're not going to like it, but if you, if you really want me to tell you, I'll tell you. You know, I mean, like he, he makes them drag it out of him so that they can't get upset with yeah. him when he says You're all going to laugh, but let me, uh, if you want to know, <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, I think yeah. You're and, right. and that's why I think he, he sort of drip feeds stuff too, right? Because he, like, needs to get you on board with something that's sort of fringe. And then once you're on board with that, we draw you a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and then pow, I can hit you with the uh, the real idea. Yeah, very much so. Mm. So that, that brings us up to a bit of a punchline moment, which, um, you know, I, I don't usually bring my Christian faith into this podcast, but I love this part and I unwind the crap out of it (laughs) Um, so bear with me as I read it so um, this entire allegory I said you may now append Declaucon to the previous argument the prison house is the world of sight the light of fire is the sun 
and you will not misapprehend me, uh, misapprehend me if you interpret the journey upwards to be the ascent of the soul into the intellectual world according to my poor belief which at your desire I've expressed whether rightly or wrongly God knows but whether true or false my opinion is that in the world of knowledge the idea of good appears last of all and is seen only with an effort and when seen is also inferred to be the universal author of all things beautiful and right parent of light and of the Lord of light in this visible world and the immediate source of reason and truth in the intellectual and that this is the power upon which he who would act rationally either in public or private life must have his eye fixed I was read that and I was just like god damn <laughs> that's a mad I'm gonna save that for some apologist stuff later in life that's mad <laughs> is that not like a description of the logos yeah, but it's also a direct answer to people who say, how can a rational person believe in God? Follow that train yeah. of thought for Oh, a okay. Yeah, I see. I, I see where you're coming from now. Yeah. Interesting. No, that, I, that, didn't, that didn't jump out at me at all, but I think you're right. Mm. So, yeah, I love that part. I've underlined it, circled it, wow, next to it. I think it's my favorite part mm. so far in the whole book. <laughs> there you go. Interesting. A winner. So you reckon yeah, like he's got there by sound reason? I think... Um, what's the right way of saying this? Um, I can't recall the word. What's the word? Uh, gosh. Oh, there, there, I've got know. the word. It came into my brain. Sorry, I'm two rooms in. <laughs> I was going to say, um, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know what's happening in that case. I, I think it demonstrates it's very difficult to be logical and not to get to the conclusion of at the very least agnostic mm. right that's okay. that's my view on that part so we can have conversations about which which belief is the, the right belief but I think the conclusion that logic draws you to an atheist solution is in that description at least difficult to justify mm. that's my thoughts I think I'll have to give that some more thought. I hadn't, I hadn't really given, think, thought about it from that perspective, but you might be right. Mm. Yeah, have a chew on it and let me know what you think next week. <laughs> Any thoughts on that, Lachlan? Yeah, look, I, I can see um, I can see the parallel there too. Um, I guess, you know, they're coming from a position of faith as well. So, you know, that would make sense um, in, in that... Um, um, yeah, I, I suppose that that sort of journey and that, you know, ascension towards a light as well. Um, yeah, I, I'll chew on that one a bit more myself. But yeah, but yeah like... Just on that bad. though, Timmy, particularly from an apologetic standpoint, if, and even Socrates would, would characterize it this time because he actually says it just then. He's like, if this is true, then this is the conclusion. But if if this is a correct description of reality, then it would stand to reason that the people down there in the cave who are only looking at the sun and the shadows um, are essentially the materialists. Um, and they can't comment on ultimate reality or what's, or what's really true or what's most important because they haven't accessed that at all because they're only inside the cave. 
So it's almost like a critique of um, materialist epistemology. I think you're right. Uh, and he, he gets onto that as well, because, you know, he talks about, you know, how can you, how can you hold somebody who's gone and witnessed this and has seen the truth and ascended, then be held accountable to by man and society who have no idea what the truth is. And they're just using their projection of justice or truth to, to measure you or anybody else by so mm. how how can you kind of expect them to to live back in the cave and be judged by those people who have no idea or to, to um, some extent i suppose within that analogy they're not even talking about uh justice and truth they're just talking about the shadows on the wall and who's the best at predicting the next absolutely. one yep. yeah that's yep. really yep. interesting mm. actually funnily enough um this is a bit of a tangent, but um, it used to be, I don't know whether it was British common law or whether it was legislated, and I don't know how long ago it was. I, I'm, I'm guessing in maybe 100, 150 years ago in British common law, um, if you're an atheist, you were not allowed to give evidence to court. You were considered on par <laughs> with um, basically uh, people that were mentally handicapped um, wow. in terms of the, li the likelihood of you telling the truth. Um, I don't know whether they were thinking of Plato at the time, but I, when I was, what I was just saying about if he's right, then the people within this is, I'm sorry, anyone that's an atheist who's listening, I'm not having a go. I'm talking pure hypotheticals. Um, I'm wondering if back then when the, when the, when the common law was essentially that you can't be, you can't even give evidence if you're an atheist. I wonder if it was almost like tied into this cave idea where, well, why would we trust anything you say? because you don't even understand what truth and justice is because you all you can talk about is the shadows on the wall, like physical mm. reality. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't looked at that. Um, That's probably a stretch. But I, just, I, I thought it occurred just, to me just then. Yeah. I, I feel like it's just got a similar uh, flavor to um, like the, the born again rhetoric of, of just, you know, I've now received this new spirit of truth. I'm born again. And so now I'm changed and... I'm not that thing anymore. Um, it's just similar flavor. And I, I thought it was a good underlying moment for me just to put that in my utility belt of conversation pieces to have with people who have a different point of view than me. Which is good. Oh, let me know if you use it. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought this was also just a, an interesting, like, it's almost like, uh, he's having a dig at everyone else who's in the room in the sense that you guys aren't in a position to judge me really like I'm being polite but if you can understand <laughs> what I'm saying you guys are basically all ignorant and yep. um, you know like this is what I think this is this is how I feel don't really care if you take it on or not but I think it's kind of like this. this is how it is for me and uh, if you haven't seen the light in some senses, then, you know. What am I going to do? Get out of the All case. I can do is sit here and answer your questions. I wonder if yeah, you're exactly right, finger cause... puppets at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think of well, Thrassy, you think back to Thrassy Marcus at the start. Like it, it all sort mm. of makes perfect sense now. I mean, there is, you're right, what he's saying, but there's also a sense of humility because he does keep coming back to saying, look, I don't. He does. I don't know the full story. I guess if he put himself in the scenario, he would say, I've been outside the cave. And I've observed the night sky. 
but I haven't I haven't stared into the sun directly yet, kind of thing. I don't. Really I think you're right, yeah, because he's modest yeah. enough to sort of say that I, that he hasn't finished the journey, you know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's keep going. So, um, but he recognizes ignorance. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So he goes. Um, after that, uh, you must not wonder that those who attain this beatific vision are unwilling to descend to human affairs, for their souls are beatific. ever hastening. Oh, beatific. Sorry. Um, for their souls are ever hastening into the upper world where they desire to dwell. Which desire of theirs is very natural, if our allegory may be trusted. Yes, yeah, very natural. Um, so I won't read this whole thing, but is this just correct me if I'm wrong? Is this roughly where he starts talking about someone has to go back down, and that that's the purpose of the guardians? Is it at this point they do that, or is it a bit later? It, a little bit later he gets on to that but this is setting it up for that for sure because yeah, he, he sort of yeah. starts he starts to talk about that they've got uh you know work to do and um more or less that um you know they have to take it down because that's the whole purpose is is to be able to kind of lead knowing now what the truth is if you know what i mean um yeah so i think um Oh, that's right. They, they basically say after a time of them coming back down, their eyes will adjust enough that they can play those games and engage at that level, but that mm. they have the insight from being outside of the cave, so to speak. Um, so then they're better equipped at being able to lead at that cave-level kingdom. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think you also pointed out, though, that it's... I think if you're not getting the right education or something, that's a time when you could be easily influenced by evil forces as well, mm. because you have some understanding and you can use it for evil purpose as well as potentially good purpose. Um, Cause I, he talks about, um, I can't remember uh, exactly what the word was, um, rogues or something like that. And, and they talked about that in the previous book as well, how, um, you know, perhaps philosophers or what have you um, can be sort of misguided and taken off, you know, and they can do even more damage than just a regular person can because they've seen something and yeah. it's being turned to something serious. Is, is that referring to the sophists, do you think? Yeah. Uh, I, you'd have to think so, like with the some of the dialogue that's been going on in the previous books. But, um, mm. And, so, yeah, and so like that's where he starts to bring it back around full circle to that whole sort of education piece again. Um, you know, saying that you know you you, you do need to bring these people, um, I suppose, into make sure they stay on the right pathway or something. I suppose. Yeah. Just for the um, sake of time, I think we understand that idea. We'll we'll, we'll keep going. Mm. Um, to uh, so that their desire is to stay the, the true philosopher's desire is to stay in the upper world um, yep. but they say this must not be allowed they must be made to descend again among the prisoners in the den and partake of their labours and honours uh, whether they are worth having or not and uh, Glaucon objects he goes but this yep. is unjust ought we to give them a worse life when they might have better and uh, he's like 
Ah, you've forgotten the purpose of our republic. <laughs> uh, the intention of the legislator, who did not aim at making any one class in the state happy above the rest. So he's saying, usually this would be the path of the philosopher, but in our example, no, they've yeah, got to go perfect. back. So, yeah. They've got to go back and play, and they to, and then, but he uses this to justify that they'll be good leaders, and I underline this part too. Um, yeah, this bit's good. Yeah, the truth is that the state in which the rulers are most reluctant to govern is always the best and most quietly governed, and the state in yep. which they are most eager, the worst. And uh, I was yep. like, yes, that is good. Yeah, it's that whole yeah, thing it's again about are you hungering for power or are you hungering for truth or knowledge? Mm. Yeah, and... I think that that's something that is told over and over again in all the sort of different hero stories, you know, whether it is Tolkien or anyone else, the, the best kings mm. or leaders were the ones that didn't really want the power. Um, yeah, the ones that do want to end up getting corrupted. So, that's the, yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. That's the ring, isn't it? Well, Aragorn's good leader because he didn't want to be king, but he had to be. Um, yeah, George R. R. Martin. And he said no to the ring right at the start. That's right. George R. R. Martin doesn't know how to finish a story, but he does understand that the reason Jon Snow is a good leader is because he never wants to be in charge. He at least had that yeah, part true, right. True. Um, and uh, you know, there's heaps of other examples. So, mm. I think that's a, a really good point. Um, yeah. So, what do you think about that? Do you think that the the reluctant philosopher would be? the right sort of person to, to lead the, the Republic? I think in the way that they've structured the Republic, yeah. Um, it, it, it makes sense in the way that they've done it. Um, the whole thing, I think, is that they're, they're trying to sort of stamp out, you know, jealousy and the, the grab for material things as well. And, yeah. you know, the structure of the Guardians, you know, not, not having, you know, wealth or gold or silver or whatever it is. And that the, the the divinity is within them as you know good people, I think is is kind of what he's sort of setting it up for. So um, so it makes sense in that world that they're that they're building. I think. Yep. Yep. I also like that they talk about the wealth. Um, that uh, yeah, will they it's rule who that. are truly rich, not in silver and gold, but in virtue and wisdom, which are the true blessings of life. So that's mm. rare. Socrates drops a little opinion bomb there. Of um, <laughs> he thinks the true blessings of life are virtue and wisdom. I thought that was mm. that's very unusual for him to just come out with a statement like that, but he did. He's just gone bang. Yeah. Look, in in fairness, I suppose it's probably not um, um, a long reach, given what we know of. Uh, Socrates, you know, in the in the way that he lives his life, so I think he practices what he preaches there, right? Um, That's so a good uh, point. we can probably yeah. forgive him that one. Yeah, but good on him. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, if if we were going to choose someone to, I don't know, whatever, run this country, let's face it, you you're going to prefer if you could if you had the choice, um, somebody who's like really loves wisdom and justice and, and the virtues over money and power. Like I, I'm, I'm not convinced it's even a possibility. I'm just saying like yeah. in, a, in a perfect world, would that not be the person you want to, 
to, to yeah. rule. I don't know. You, you'd uh, you'd have to wonder though if you had uh, Socrates in the in the chair, and it's like uh, Socrates, you know, uh, these guys are on our borders. We've got to go to war. What is war? Yeah, oh, like, <laughs> yeah. Find war. <laughs> that's that's a really good point. We need to do something. <laughs> He'd be like, I told you, all you need, all you need is bread and water. You wanted wine and cheese, and now we have war. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you on just just coming back to the uh, wall thing for a minute. Do you think that was a? Oh, I'm going to be controversial here, but um, Mr. Trump, right? President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump. Um, I used to hear that a lot from people that were pro-Trump of. Uh, he's going to be a better politician because he's not in it for the money because he's already like super rich um, mm. which is a corruption of what this is saying <laughs> like it, yeah. like if you had a guy that wasn't in it for the money who wasn't rich that would be more aligned with this criteria but do you think that that was a, a, a thing that people were sort of maybe contributing to him of like oh well he doesn't need the money so he must be doing it for other reasons fame yeah yeah, that's what i was going to say just because he's not doing it for the money because he's already got money doesn't mean he's not doing it for some other reason as in power yeah but it's certainly set him apart fame or honor yeah but it certainly set him apart from his competitors that he wasn't in it for the cash like the fame yeah 100 percent uh but yeah i don't know i think do you think that might have made some people go i'll vote for that guy because he's clearly not in it for the money probably yeah probably swing look, swung some people hmm. and look i mean i remember the story that he was donating his uh paycheck um different sort of faculties or whatever it was going to be like through the course of his term and stuff like that i guess like he tried to practice what he was preaching early on there that you know i'm not here for the money yeah he did do yeah. that yeah I think it's not that uncommon for the presidents to donate at least a percentage of their income. But mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, that just occurred to me. I thought that's um that 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 one thing in and of itself isn't enough to say philosopher leader, but it certainly was a, a distinction that is rare. Like I, I don't recall yeah. that happening elsewhere recently at least. Are you going to yeah. vote for uh, Clive Palmer now? Oh, uh, well, he's not running. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he's funding a party. He's involved in yeah. a party, but he's not actually running himself. I don't know whether that's be- I don't know whether that's better or worse. <laughs> well, is it better because then you know he's not after the fame or the money? Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's probably he's, after he's, money. He's somehow. like Spaceballs too. The search for more money. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Is it is it is he potentially pushing a political party because he knows they'll legislate in a way that will protect his money? I mean, you know what I mean. Like, mm. I don't know. I just thought of a tweet. I'm going to send to Elon Musk. It's going to be stuff fixing world hunger. Please make space balls too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you get that going. All right, let's keep going. Um, so, so that's. That's the cave, roughly, isn't it? I mean, that's that's more or less the cave. Yeah. Well, pretty much, because um, we're talking about the philosophies, uh, philosopher, sorry, ruling. But then they get distracted and they go onto this uh, 
discussion around war and uh, education. Oh, I don't know whether that's distract. I think they're actually getting back on track, aren't they, at that point? Because they were, were originally talking about how do we educate these people to be leaders. <laughs> so I think they're actually... I know it's really a long way around, but I think they're actually getting back on track there is the way I read it. Yeah, okay. I must admit, I thought the same as Tim when I read it the first time, that it did sound like he just kind of got distracted. Yeah. But I think, it, yeah, but it, it's purposeful in what he's doing for sure. But uh, it does it does feel like a distraction though. <laughs> well, it, it felt like yeah, a, I don't know, I agree. a Sheldon moment here. It's like, well, the answer to education and understanding all things is math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's used in everything. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. It might also be useful in war. I love how originally they say like learning math is boring and therefore not rewarding because it's like if you have three fingers and well, it uses these three, right? So your pinky finger, ring finger, middle finger. He's like the brain realizes they're all fingers, and that's it. Yeah. So that's boring. <laughs> But then he's like, but it's not boring because then, and he gets all philosophical about fingers. <laughs> it's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, look, I, this bit was also, I'm not sure that I really got my head around it, but the way I kind of understand it is he starts off by saying, um, philosophers in our state will start out as soldiers. Mm. They're going to have to know math to be a soldier, but we should teach everyone math because math points towards um higher knowledge um so like uh if you look at his 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 levels of knowledge again mathematics was like the second highest um and i think what he's saying is basically mathematics necessarily forces you to think about abstract concepts beyond the physical so you can have three fingers but if you start thinking about the number three and subtraction and addition and what that actually means, you have to start thinking about um, concrete ideas that are, are, are sort of beyond just the physical objects themselves. So I think triangles is the best. The best is the best um, example. It's kind of like, well, you can have a triangle, you can you can know how to build a triangle, but when you actually sit down and start doing mathematics of a triangle, then you are automatically in this realm of thinking about things that are. Um, higher level in his mind, mm. the, the, those higher level things. I, that, mm. to, to me, that's the, the easiest way to summarize it. There's probably a lot more in there than that. I don't know. What do you think, Lachlan? No, look, I, I think you're on the on the, the same pathway. I mean, it, it just looked like they were trying to sort of grab onto something that um, would have more application than just philosophy. And, that, and this was something that seems to be pretty universal. Um, but you're right. It, it does give you sort of like a way of thinking that's, um, you know, not just straightforward. I suppose it's it's putting you into some 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 detail and calculation is is kind of the way that they want you to to think about it. Well, I must yeah, admit, there's, there's something. Yeah, sorry, you go too. Oh, sorry, I was going to say. I must admit, when I read this, it made me think. Oh man, I've got to make sure my kids learn math. And um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually funny reading this book over the last four months. It's made me realize like um, why I think things are important for my kids. So. Uh, like it's important for my kids to do a sport it's important for my kids to learn a musical instrument um, and obviously to do their schoolwork and hmm. reading this I'm like oh actually uh, if I if I don't get my 
children to do a sport or some sort of physical activity that teaches them how to use their body uh, and strengthens that body, then it's actually a failure of their education. And if I don't mm. teach them or, or give them access to learn an instrument, um, then it's, again, I'm failing to provide them the right education. And, you know, it occurred to me that our school system has those things built into it but I even when I was in school those things outside of math were kind of optional uh, yeah. not yeah. really pushed and no particularly physical particularly physical isn't really pushed now um, and I, I I'm thinking about that at the moment I'm thinking that through and um, but today my son was like I don't want to play clarinet next year I went that's fine but you have to play an instrument and uh, he's like I don't want to play an instrument I'm like alright well then I don't want to pay for your Xbox subscription <laughs> and he got a little bit upset at me he's like why and I'm like well I'm sorry but learning an instrument for me it's mandatory for your education You, that's part of your schooling and you've got to do it so if you're not going to do something that I think is mandatory then I'm not going to pay for your Xbox subscription that's not mandatory so, um, like, but you can choose your instrument so then his mum talked to him a little bit later because she's a bit softer than I am and um, he's decided to go for either guitar or drums next year so I'm going to try and guide him towards guitar but I was wondering yeah, like, you can actually teach him. yeah but is this, has reading this book made you guys think about your kids education at all and, and that sort of stuff from where I learned in that I mustn't be, I haven't really been thinking too much about um, about the kids, but I have been thinking a lot more about myself and just what I do. And yeah, I suppose you've got to start with the self and then move on from there. Oh, it sounds like you're already doing yeah. it. You're doing a good job with the Socratic education there anyway, Tim. So, you know, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm learning philosophy. I play an instrument. I'm, I've just signed up to a 12 week challenge, which starts tomorrow, which I did the shop for today. I have to eat two kilos of tomato this week. I don't think I eat two kilos of tomato in a month. Um, that's like one of the dietary requirements so I'm trying to get these things that are in the book like good and and see what that's yep. like um, so yeah I've definitely thought about myself and applied and now I'm like okay the kids where are they at with this stuff <laughs> yeah I must admit I'm, uh, I think there's been enough uh, every week and it's been really uh, it's been really good but there's enough for me to digest before I uh, maybe by the end of this book I'll have a think about uh yeah what i want to impart after that well i'm looking forward to asking because at the end of reading this book i'd like us to do an episode where we just talk about what we learned and mm. what impacts it's had that's definitely a, a sneak peek for me that it's impacted that part for sure how about you Rips? Yeah. um i yeah i have not not as practically as you i think typically i've just been a lot more abstract with it but the way i have seen Socrates use his method and particularly his idea of um, uh, looking at particulars and then looking at the higher knowledge of particulars. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of that and I have actually been trying to think of ways to teach that to my kids um, and I've sort of tried to started to do that in an informal method uh, way but then I also and I said this to someone at work the other day I, I realized and I think it's partially due to reading this book. One of the things that I worry about is when I'm gone, will I have taught my kids or will they have at least learnt how to make good decisions in terms of what's right and wrong? 
And I think that's partially come from this book because you can see Socrates keep going back to, um, yeah, right, but what is it? Because if, if you mm. can't figure out what it is, if you can't figure out what is truth and what is justice, then what are you even doing? Mm. So, um, like I said, uh, nowhere near as practically as what you're talking about, Tim, but certainly in an abstract sense, been really thinking about it. Um, and I've actually decided that I want to write a dumbed down curriculum to give to my children, but not, I don't, I'm not going to start with this book. I'm actually going to start with some old C.S. Lewis lectures that I've read over the years. Um, And I think that's, that whole thing has sort of come out of the, um, largely from thinking about the importance of education. So, yeah. It's funny you say that because I was thinking about how do I turn this into a book for a 12 year old to listen to or watch on the YouTubes or, you know what I mean? Like it, this is taking us a long time (laughs) to work through this book. How do we, how do we give them the, uh, Coke syrup version? You know, (laughs) just the the big hit of insulin. (laughs) I don't know. There's so many like bits and pieces to sort of drag out of it. Um, and, uh, I guess like the book's done it in such a conversational way, which is kind of amazing for something two and a half thousand years old Mm. that it's really, um, it's really accessible even for, for our modern lives. Um, yeah, big time. Yeah. I, I don't know how you'd break it down though. Um, cause I must admit like when I make my notes sometimes from, from reading, I keep it, it's quite sterile. And when you look at it just on that sterile sort of fashion, it loses something from the yeah. content and the way it's been delivered. It, so yeah. um, it, it uses, it loses the characters and the, the relational content. And yeah. yeah. I think you're right. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is some, uh, some some clips with dogs and call it like dogrities and, <laughs> and <laughs> some, dogs. some some puppy dogs uh having the dialogue have one called glaucon and have like a <laughs> aggressive yappy chihuahua as um thrasy marcus but i think you're right Tim, and when you were talking about those different things like physical education and musical education, you're right, they are still within our school system. But I mm. suspect that they've now become so divorced from what they originally were. Because I can only assume that when those things made their way into the educational system, it was probably off the back of this kind of thinking. Mm. But now we've moved mm. so far down the track, they've become yeah, sort of really divorced from their roots and, and they are almost very insular. You could almost say that what they've become now are particulars. So that's the way that Socrates would say that now those individual subjects are just particulars, but they're divorced from their form, from their their true meaning. Yeah. It's funny, you know, like I I can, I I think, you know, the curriculum sort of side of things has has changed quite a lot. The the high school I went to, right, it became a a selective high school. And I was a last year of non-selective kids who went through my high school. And it was... When I was going through, it was quite a sporting school and all that sort of thing. Obviously, everyone's doing all their learning and stuff, but their sports teams was, were fairly strong, all that sort of thing. Uh, and then that school kind of flipped around when it became a selective school and just really purely focused on academic pursuits. And right. um, there's no focus on sports at all. Um, and it's funny that that's almost, I think, completely dropped out of their curriculum there now because... Um, 
I, I think it's a, a perception a little bit about, you know, almost what we're talking about in this book about the, uh, the athletes being like knuckle draggers or something like that. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, I suppose, educated elite um, being a bit airy fairy, but it's like, well, that's what we want, you know, just, uh, just the educated elite and no sports. And I, you think actually probably need right. I think that's a result of NAPLAN because the schools, the schools are judged on their academic score only. They are not judged true. on the fitness of the students. Why would you waste time on it? Yeah, or their true. musical. They're only judged on their academic results. And hmm. I re- like, I know selecting my son's school, uh, I took a bit of a different approach to a lot of people I spoke to because I looked at things like um, the, the size of the property, uh, how many ovals and sports facilities they had, um, did they do music well, and they've got like this music auditorium and they had a classroom with 30 pianos in it, like 30 electric keyboards in there. Yeah. Um, how big was the library? Uh, they were the things I looked at. I looked at Naplan last. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't the major deciding factor for me on um, th- this is the result of the school. But I know I, I have family who are teachers and uh, I know Naplan's a big deal. And mm. um, some funding is based on their academic results. And that's I think that's why. I think, I think the system is partially responsible for that because it's measured purely on academic result it's not measured on the creativity it's not measured on their ability to teach music and it's certainly not measured on their ability to produce people who are fit and healthy who aren't overweight that would never get raised because it would be seen as being mean or unkind in some way to say that people are fat or unhealthy (laughs) Um, you know what i think it loses too i think sport team sport or in particular um well maybe not even in particular but you lose i think sport at a young age teaches virtue and i think you lose that if you don't if you don't teach it if you don't have it in schools like it teaches cooperation teamwork but it also teaches virtue i mean it's the closest thing that we can have in our society to heroic behavior without you know actual bloodshed Mm. I think actual. I think sports actually provides that opportunity for people, for kids. And I, now that I, I think about it, that's that's probably something that is uh, what do you call it, just not really thought about. And team, I think it's something at a loss. Team sports help my children massively, particularly my son. And when he first started, um, he found it really difficult. And it, the the uh, it, it taught him to be less selfish, right? Because if something went wrong, he would get frustrated and, and want to stop playing. And it was like, no, you can't stop playing because if you stop playing, you're letting down your, your teammates and then they'll get frustrated. Um, mm. So, But if you make a mistake, you just got to own that mistake and go, my bad, move forward uh, and keep going and be, be an encourager on that team and like help other people to keep going too. And um, it was really wonderful to see, probably took about two to three months, but he went from being very immature and unable to deal with criticism and unable to deal with failure to accepting that failure was necessary part of winning, uh, that criticism was necessary to improve, uh, and that it wasn't all about him. And it only took two or three months, and he learned some amazing life lessons 
through playing team yeah. sports. I'm so grateful. Yeah, you learn to win, you learn to win, you learn and you learn to lose and you learn all sorts and you, you have the opportunity for good sportsmanship too. And, yeah, and yeah, look, sports can sports can be taught badly as well as it's gonna be taught well, obviously, but um, you know, like think of Cobra Kai. um yeah anyway i think that's interesting yeah well um i think that's a good place to pause uh for tonight what do you guys think i think we have to stop i don't know what your watch is looking like but yeah we're we're getting pretty close (laughs) to our maximum time Uh, i was going to do a pub for lots of us um which i'll put the thing up here Jingle playing here on top of this production. Uh, so the the pub philosophers. All I want to say quickly is uh, the Eternals movie, worst Marvel movie I've seen in a long time. <laughs> uh, you haven't seen it yet, Lachlan, so we won't go into spoilers. Uh, you can feel free because it doesn't sound like I need to see that one. <laughs> it was trash. I hated it. I was so bored. I was so bored. It was really boring. Uh, character development was very limited. There was eight characters. Two of them I didn't even remember the names of. Um, <laughs> and, and it was meant to be, you know, obviously all stories have good moments and tragic moments. The tragic moments I did not care about because I did not understand who that person was. <laughs> so yeah, just, without going into spoilers, no one, of the, one of the main characters dies in a really tragic way and I laughed. <laughs> I, la- I laughed out loud because it was so I just I think I had a lower opinion than what Tim did I, I, I couldn't stand it I was like this is hilarious <laughs> yeah it just I think it highlighted that whoever wrote that movie did not understand mythology at all <laughs> and they don't yeah. they don't understand the broader universe of the Marvel Cinematic Universe either so yeah I used to think that the second Thor movie was probably the worst Marvel movie that's substantially better than this one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair call. That's about as uh, strong a do not watch uh, warning as you could possibly give, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, I would, yeah, I wouldn't waste your time with it. Yeah, it's pretty ordinary. So. <laughs> All right, uh, have you got anything to add to the pub there, Lachlan? Uh, no, only that um, all of us are playing the new Forza Horizon and uh, oh, yes. doing Mexico. Yes. Um, maybe we can have a bit oh, more chat true. about that next week. But uh, yeah, we're going to start a club. We're going to start a club on it. So anyone that's listening that plays, we'll we'll, we'll bring out the name for that next week and uh, see if anyone's interested in joining us. Yeah, that'd be good. Sure. I'm loving it. Um, I love that they've made the steering wheel usable. I found in the last couple of Forza games, I've got a steering wheel for my Xbox. Uh, I've never been able to use it in the other games and have anything resembling competency I'm always about 10 seconds a lap slower with the steering wheel than I am with the controllers uh, yep. but in this Forza I reckon it's less than a second a lap I'm off okay. and that's with very very minimal practice so I think with a little bit of effort I could probably get some better lap times with the steering wheel than with the controller which I think awesome. that's how it should actually be it should be mm. better to use a steering wheel than a, a thumbstick but even if I can get it to just being where it is right now, where it's just that 1% not quite as good, that's good enough for me. Because just sitting there throwing the wheel around and using the feet pedals, it's mad fun. 
<laughs> right on. Yeah. Feels like Daytona. I'm keen to give that a go. Yeah, when you come over, man, give you a crack. That's it. That's it. All right, well, um, the uh, next uh, pub for lots of us in person having a, a round of Forza. <laughs> we'll have to stream it. <laughs> All right, well, um, for those of you listening, thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, like this show, the, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither middle aged men. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right, boys, see ya. See ya.